0: and welcome to episode 361 of The Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, and I am sitting four feet away in the flesh from Megan Francis.
1: Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? I can see how you're
0: doing. Yeah, you can see me. Uh, If this is your first time joining us, you might not know that we live 2,000 miles apart from one another, Uh, but most of you do probably know that, and very exciting to be together. We are hanging out in outside Dallas, Texas um, as a little convenient meetup spot for some, I don't know, general get-together-and-get-stuff-done hangout. We're not attending a conference or event this time we're together. It's just to be together.
1: Yeah, and um, like always, there is general mess and destruction in the hotel room. <laughs> um, and we're both in bed with our legs under the covers. We did get a question, like someone was curious about whether... We work in bed if we are under or over the covers. I would say if I was at home, I'd be on top of the covers. Me too. But something about being in a hotel under the covers, it's actually also very chilly in here.
0: Yes. So we got yeah. some serious AC going. I mean, let's comment on the state of the room for a for a quick second. I feel like we we don't trash a hotel room like rock stars. We sort of clutter it like moms. Yes. So that means we have some LaCroix cans, some many beverage containers. So many Empty beverage containers. There's actually a bit of health food. There's like yeah. fresh fruit and berries and nuts. I don't think the rock stars do that or the young the young kids.
1: I wonder nowadays if they do.
0: <laughs> That's true. Everyone's more health conscious these days. <laughs> That's yes. A good point.
1: Yes. It feels controlled. And I said earlier that um, one of the best things about these get togethers and I know if you're listening and you have like little kids at home and you don't get the opportunity to do this kind of thing, this is going to be maybe like rubbing salt in a wound. But it's like all we have to do is attend to our cell, like our own beverage and snack needs, yes, we don't even we don't have to do dishes. all we do is just get up and go make snacks and get and get our tea or whatever, and then come sit back down and get on our computers and work it's It's a very like I don't know, like very focused yeah, way it's a of
0: simplified yeah. existence, and it's deeply satisfying. I would say if you're a mom who does any kind of work for yourself and that could be like creative work, hobbies um. If when you remove things like driving people, places and um, dishes and laundry, even though I'm sure you're all very good at multitasking, that kind of thing. But when you take all that away and like you said, Megan, all there is between us and our productivity is like four feet across the room to retrieve sustenance from right. healthy snacks. <laughs> we've got a we've got a restaurant. We've got facilities. We've got everything. We've got, we need. Shelter, we've got shelter and blankets. Um, so clearly we're pretty excited about this. And should we talk a little bit about what we've been up to before we dive in? Maybe we should say today's episode is a listener questions episode. These are recurring. Um, and so in just a few minutes, we're going to dive into some parenting and otherwise interesting challenges that our listeners have posed to us. So that's why you're here today. But since we've got you, let's chat a little bit about what we've been doing in Texas.
1: Yeah. So we've been here now for, um, a couple of days. Is this day Two right, so full well, day two, full yeah. day two. Yeah, we got in two days ago, um, and we've like we really haven't done tons of sightseeing because we tend to hole up. We did get a really good recommendation from our contributor Joanna, who kind of like turned us on to the idea of where we're staying. So we're in Grapevine, which is about ten minutes from the airport we flew into DFW, and it's this adorable little town. Um, and we're in a really nice hotel.
0: Yeah, it's um, the Hotel Vin autograph collection. It's a Marriott property. They're not paying us to say that um, we do try to choose Marriott properties because I have some points from some travel situations. But other than that, uh, Joanna pointed us in this direction. And it's like the whole town of Grapevine seems like charmingly vintage and yet a lot of it brand new and updated. So it's yeah. like it's like brand new with vintage charm, I would say. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. And we went to yoga yesterday morning.
1: We got our butts out of bed early and walked about, I don't know, half a mile away to a really cute little yoga studio. And we had a warm yoga session, not hot, um, but the room was heated to about 86 degrees. And I've always been a little freaked out by hot or warm yoga. It's something at home I rarely try, but something about doing it in a town where I don't know anybody and it's not my studio felt like not like people are watching me sweat at my home studio, but. It just felt like, I don't know, like the novelty of it. And it felt a little more, I don't know, a little more anonymous. So we tried it. We loved it.
0: We loved it. We had a great instructor. And for those who don't know, Megan is really, really into yoga and just completed yoga teacher training and practices all the time. And I am the opposite of that. I'm familiar enough that I can go into a class and follow along, but I, I don't practice yoga regularly. So The fact that we both loved the class, I think also says something about the instructor and just the studio and the vibe that they created because we were coming at it from very different like backgrounds. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That was great. And um, yesterday we also spent kind of a little little time checking out the interior of the hotel. And also there's like a really cool food court situation that does not have a Sabaro or like a Panda Express, but like (laughs) upscale food court. Yeah. Um, That was really fun for lunch. And then you want to tell them about our dinner?
0: We got to hang out with um, Joanna Martin, who you all just hopefully heard from in Friday's episode that was all about books. And I'm sure you've seen Joanna on our socials. She's done an Instagram takeover and she's been writing for us um, for six months or so now. She is a Dallas-Fort Worth area born and raised native. Um, So she not only recommended where we stay and where we hang out, but she joined us for dinner last night. So it's just, I think in general, when we make friends and friendlies via the internets. Um, it's so much fun to get together in person. We had a running joke that, that you never know how tall somebody is when you've mm-hmm. only known them from mm-hmm. their face on a Zoom or on Instagram. Um, so happy to report that Joanna is neither way taller or way shorter than we thought she would be. And it would have been OK if she were. Well, you
1: know, uh, <laughs> I think it's kind of funny that I am now zero for two on um, <laughs> estimating how tall people will be, because when we met Katie, Katie Parrish, Um, our team member, she, I assumed she would be like your height. And instead she was more like my height.
0: I think she was more like between us. Right. Yeah. And And, and yeah, for the record, I'm just under five, five and you're just under five, eight. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
1: And then with Joanne, I was also like, I'm going to call Like, she's going to be about your height, Sarah. And she was more like my height. So that's twice now that I've thought someone would be Sarah's height and they're mine. I don't know what that says about me. Probably nothing at all, but I think it's interesting.
0: It is interesting. And if, those of you listening who've never had the experience of meeting someone that you've only known on the Internet, I just wait. Height is the one thing that can just really surprise you um, yeah. when that person walks around the corner. Joanna, thank you for a great evening and joining us. It was really, really fun. Really fun. And listeners, go listen to um, Friday's Voices episode that features Joanna and our contributor, Catherine, because we had a really fun chat about books and reading.
1: I wanted to say really quick before we move on to the actual episode that um, one of the things that this has really inspired is the idea of maybe at one point doing an in-person event. We had started to talk about that back in 2020. (laughs) In the before time. Actually, like in 2019, I think we were like pretty serious about maybe trying to plan something for 2020. And then that went away and it has not been, you know, back on the radar. But Seeing how easy this airport was for us and many people, um, or this area yeah, and how cute this town is. And I don't know, it just has our wheels turning. So I would be curious if like, this is one of those things where you're like, yes, do it. I'll fly to wherever, including
0: Texas. Um, just shoot us an email or yeah. Yeah. We, and, and we also know we did a virtual retreat. So there's like, there's a couple different ways a live event could look. It could look like more of like what you see when podcasters do like live recordings or make. Um, what am I trying to say, Megan? Like when, when you make more like of a show or yeah. an event out of the podcast. But it could also look like more like a retreat for moms, which is something we did virtually in November of 2020. Yeah. It could be a combination of both of think, those yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd yeah. Be fun. Um, we checked out a little event space that they have here at the hotel. Um, so, yeah, our wheels are turning.
1: Go to FromOurPlace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's FromOurPlace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, so our first question is from Michelle, and she says, My question is, how do I prep my kids for when I return to work full-time for the first time? I'm going back to work next month, and it will be a huge change for my kids who are 8, 9, and 12. We figured out a lot of the logistics for going back to work, like childcare and meals. But now I'm trying to figure out how to prep my kids for such a giant change in our
0: family life. All right. I really loved this question. And I it occurred to me that these kids ages are not too far off of where my kids are right now. And it also occurred to me that um, we get a lot of questions like this about moms returning back to work with babies and little kids. And it is a very different set of things to think about with older kids. You can have more nuanced conversations with older kids But they're also going to show their adjustment and maybe any growing pains because there's always there's always an adjustment period to big changes whether that's a move, a change in job situation, a divorce, even very positive change. Kids are going to show a reaction, and so I think my my broader advice for Michelle is to normalize for yourself and then help normalize for your kids that change shows up in our bodies and in our hearts and in our minds in all different ways, and that that's okay. It doesn't mean we've made the wrong choice. It doesn't mean it's going to feel like this forever, but that going through change is noticeable. Um so I think with kids 8, 9 and 12, I I would probably start with a conversation like that, which is you know, our family as a team is going to go through kind of a big transition with mom going back to work. Like what do you think that will feel like? Make them part of the conversation so that you're sort of helping them project into the future a little bit not by saying okay, guys, this is going to be really hard. You might miss mom during the day, or you might hate this not by creating negative expectations, but just by normalizing the fact that it's going to feel different for a while. And that's okay. Because as a family, we will get through this and you know, it's okay to feel weird when you're going through a change. I think that's where I'd start.
1: Yeah. I love that. And, and more specific to like, um, work. I mean, I think (laughs) don't necessarily do what I did, which is to forget about prep at all. And I have a funny story when my kids were uh, I think Clara was about eight, so there would have been you know eight and up. Um, and after getting divorced, about a year later, I ended up going back to work full time. I had been working, you know, I'd always been working from home, and I had been working a part-time early morning radio job for a while by that point. But I started working at an agency, and it ca- it happened really quickly. Like the job offer came through. I want to say the beginning of August, and negotiate it really quickly. And I started like the second week of August, forgetting that I still had two and a half weeks before the kids went back to school. And like school was my only childcare in mind. And I just totally like (laughs) didn't think about the fact that it was going. I mean, I thought about it, but I was making a lot of decisions really quickly and I was eager for the position. It solved a lot of financial problems for me. So I just thought, well, this will just kind of work itself out. And then I had a moment of panic where I was like, oh my gosh, no, I've got two and a half weeks of, of summer vacation. Like this right. is the time I'd be taking the kids to the beach and we were doing all this fun stuff, the library. How is that going to work? And I, after panicking for a few minutes, um, I guess the moral to the story is it did work out with, but not without bumps. Like you said, Sarah, no matter what the change is, there's going to be bumps and there's going to be things the kids aren't thrilled about. Um, but I very clearly remember that that was when there was the solar eclipse, Oh, yeah. And I was really bummed because I wanted to be home, um, like making a cereal box viewer. And I actually just asked my boss if I could go home during the day Mm -hmm. and do the eclipse with the kids. And they're like, yeah, we're all going to be out in the parking lot doing it anyway. So I went home for like three hours in the middle of my day. And I think I'd only been there for like a week. And maybe like not all jobs are going to let you do something like that. This was a weird isolated incident but i remember feeling like just that one little thing was so normalizing like mm-hmm. me being able to show up for one kind of like momentous but silly thing that was totally unnecessary made that first couple of weeks of um it kind of being a bummer to miss out on some of that end of summer stuff feel a lot better yeah so that's just like a um you obviously can't we're not going to have another solar eclipse turns out. You can't make that. You can't make that happen, no matter how awesome you are at organization and preparing. But you can like look to see what are some small things. I guess that's the takeaway. Like are there some small ways you can make things feel like they used to be Mm. while you're getting used to the way things are now or going to be. Yeah.
0: I know when we told our three kids that we were doing a big move in the early pandemic, moving to a different city, they'd be starting different schools. Um, It was also important to me that I had three separate conversations and Michelle, I'm not sure if it sounds like your kids already know you're going back to work. But I just mentioned that because with eight, nine and 12, they're fairly close in age. I could see like making all these conversations a group family affair. And one thing I'm so glad we did was kind of take each kid aside separately And make sure that what we were explaining and the questions we were answering were a little bit uniquely tailored to that kid. And of course, there were lots of group conversations as well. But just a note on that, that you may want to individualize some of the ways you prep the eight, the nine and the 12.
1: Okay. and I want to say one other thing that I think a lot of working moms can relate to, especially if like working is something that is different from what everyone else in your family, including your kids, but not just your kids is used to. And that is like, it's not on you to absorb all of the uh, work related to this change or all of the, I guess, negative emotions related to this change. Like this is a family change. It's not like mom decided to go back to work. So now mom has to do all the work to make this okay for everybody else. And I just think that's a really important distinction because there can be it is a big change and you might feel a little conflicted or maybe you're super excited. But even being super excited makes you feel conflicted because now you're like, well, Me going back to work is a great thing for me, but is it good for other people? And I just want to remind you that it's like it's a family change, and it's good for everybody in the family. Meaning, everybody might be a little uncomfortable or kind of have to deal with stuff for a little bit. It's not on you, Michelle, to make this okay for everybody else.
0: Ooh, I think that's such a good point. I also think, uh, and I think we've mentioned this when we've done episodes about moving with kids or telling kids about a big move. As moms, we we sometimes give ourselves a lot of credit for predicting how our kids will react Mm. or predicting what they're projecting, what they're going to feel anxious or sad about. And I would just gently remind Michelle that the kids may surprise you. I I always say this when people are asking how to prepare kids for a new sibling as well. Like Mm. the things you think they'll be sad about or reactive to or anxious about may go totally fine. And, uh, some unpleasant reactions might pop up later than you think, or in a different kid than you think. So And about things you don't even think they care about. Exactly. So like, well, just as an example, and Michelle, I'm not saying this is what you're worried about, but if you were worried that the eight-year-old would be sad that you're not there for pickup every day in the same way, and instead they have to take the bus home or whatever the thing is, you may find out that is not at all what they're Mm. worried about, but that there's something, some other way that it comes out. So I think leaving room for both the pleasant and maybe the less pleasant surprises. and always, always extending the time frame you think it will take for kids to adjust to a big change. Because I think that's another thing we do as moms is we're like, oh my gosh, okay. We got through the first week. Like this is going to be great. I very much do this. Like when kids start a new school year, I'm like, okay, the first day was pretty good. Like we're into the new schedule. And then sometimes I think adjustments crop up six weeks later or a couple months later. And you just, you just have to remind yourself that like, we are still in the middle of of a thing, of a change. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make it good or bad. It doesn't make the decision to go back to work. It's not a judgment call on whether this is what you should be doing. It's simply your family being in flux. And sometimes that's just a neutral fact. It's not, it's not good or bad. It's just what is.
2: Yeah. I love that.
0: All right. Well, let's set up Lauren's question. Uh, Lauren left us a voicemail. And so we will listen to that now.
2: Hi, Megan and Sarah. My name is Lauren and I have a question about healthcare for my 14 month old, um, specifically about brushing her teeth and giving her vitamins. She absolutely hates it when we put these things in her mouth. I should say the vitamins are prescribed by our pediatrician because we don't have fluoride in the water where we live. So it's just, a, it's a fluoride supplement. If it wasn't prescribed, I probably wouldn't even bother with it. Um, but I'm conflicted and trying to figure out the balance of, you know, do I hold her down screaming and force these things into her mouth um, just for her own health, regardless of how she feels about it? My intuition tells me that it would be better to help her learn to enjoy the process and even do these things herself. Um, and to take it a little more slowly, even if that means she doesn't get her vitamins one day or her teeth don't actually get brushed. Um, I would rather her learn to enjoy it than to have this fight going on for years and years. At the same time, I want her to eventually, you know, get her teeth brushed or get her vitamins so that she has the health benefits of that. Um, so yeah, if you have any advice on how to actually move the ball forward on getting those things accomplished and also thoughts on how necessary are these things for a baby and is it okay to slack off in the learning?
1: Okay, Lauren, I think this is so common for people with toddlers with all kinds of like body autonomy questions. Like how hard do I try to force them to do XYZ thing that we know is good for them, but that they disagree? And Sarah and I can't speak to whether you know, fluoride supplements are necessary for your baby or whether brushing their teeth every other day or waiting a month is, you know, like what the effects of that would be. But I guess I would say that I think with most of these things, we have more time than we think we do. A, so it's not, there's, you know, you might be at the height right now of your 14 month olds, like resistance to this. And it may it may be that a month or two is a fine amount of time to wait it out because like they'll be less resistant later. Um as opposed to where I think your mom intuition is leading you where it's like if you're forcing and fighting it now, how long are you going to have to do that and how long is it going is that going to be the dy- the dynamic and is it worth it to you to do that? And we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Just like we don't know exactly what it's going to look like if we let our kids um you know skip Half the food on their plate because they don't feel like eating it. But that also doesn't mean like I force it into a toddler's mouth because I think it's good for them. Like there's, and there's all this nuance. Like if it was an antibiotic that they had to have or their ear infection was going to get worse and it was like urgent or I guess more of an acute thing, I might make a really different decision than I would in the moment if it was more like a thing that they need to know how to do their whole lives, but no one day is going to make that big of a difference. So it's like there's so much. There's so much of a spectrum here about how we make those decisions.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I want to start by complimenting, or that sounds maybe condescending. I'm so impressed, Lauren, with the way you phrased this question. And I think as a mom, a relatively new mom, I think this is your first child, the 14 month old. You just should feel so, keep that intuition, keep asking those questions of, My gut's telling me this and my long term mom strategy is for this child to feel like she has bodily autonomy, like she can come to enjoy taking care of herself. And yet my short term mom strategy wants to follow doctor's orders. And that feels in conflict, like all of everything you said, I'm so impressed by. And so while these like these questions are come to us like they're problems, I just want to like almost celebrate that you're feeling that natural tension because that will never go away. Yeah. <laughs> the, the needing to solve for the immediate expert recommendation and have your kid do something unpleasant and yet wanting them to experience like a more, I don't know, like values-based coming into themselves. Like that is going to yeah. be with you forever. And I celebrate you for just like being in the middle of it. Okay. So switching to like a couple totally practical things. While you're figuring all this out, um, I would encourage you to play around with different times of day, different caregivers and different methods of trying all of these unpleasant things. Um, Toddlers are like they like novelty. They like especially young toddlers, like a 14 month old. They're still sometimes distractible. So while you're figuring all this out, don't forget that if you're partnered, you could have your partner, your co-parent try to do the, the nasty deed sometimes you could try it in the morning instead of at night or vice versa. You can also go back to your providers and say, you know, this isn't working for us yeah. right now. What are other parents doing that's successful? Mm-hmm. Because they might say, oh, you know what? Don't just worry bag about it. it for six yeah. months. Or yeah. they might say, oh, I, you know, we, I learned a great trick because because other families have gone through this. So um, just, I think that's what I would offer that while you're, while you're figuring out where you stand and while you're listening to that intuition also, don't be afraid to mix it up like and and try different ways to accomplish these these things.
1: Totally agreed. I mean, I'm thinking like if you went to your dentist and pediatrician, I'm not sure who whether um, the 14 month old is also seeing a dentist right now or if it's just all coming from the pediatrician. But if you say like and like I guarantee, Lauren, you are not the only parent right now who's trying to figure out whether you like hold a baby down and brush their teeth or just let it go. Like you're not the only one. So they'll probably have some strategies for you or if they just aren't they kind of are dismissive and say like we'll just do it then that kind of tells you a lot about that care provider too it's like maybe you need to go elsewhere to get tips and ideas but there I'm there's other people you know who are facing this I promise you probably listening right now who maybe have tried some new strategies or got different advice when they went back to their care provider care provider and like pointed out that it wasn't going so well
0: yeah yeah agreed
1: Okay, this next question comes from Kim. She says, hi, ladies, love your show. I recently transitioned a hall coat closet into a second pantry to better fit the needs of my family of six. I'm excited to have the additional food storage, but I'm now having trouble deciding what to keep in which pantry. As a note, these two pantries are literally right across the hall from each other. We live in a split level and had been keeping overflow items on a shelf in the garage. So she wants to know if we have suggestions with that. Sarah, I know things will come to mind um, as you're talking. I'm gonna let you take this one first, but I am like literally in this situation right now where I have my kitchen pantry and then I have like other storage areas in the house that I'm trying to figure out how to use. So as you talk, I think it's gonna give me ideas
0: too. So you go first. Well, Megan, you and I had a recent conversation because you have, we'll save this for a future episode, but you have like um, an upstairs, downstairs bathroom challenge that reminded me of this, where like you have enough bathroom space, but like which to keep in- which area and right. like how are you going to use this space? So Kim, first of all, I am a little bit jealous because my last move put us in a larger house overall, but way smaller pantry storage than I've ever had in any house, even my much smaller houses. Um, I have no pantry. I have kind of cupboard style pantry cupboards. And then we, we keep stuff out in the garage, similar to you, overflow items in our garage. But even that is awkward you have to walk through a whole room to get there and it's like it's not very it's not very organized out there so I am living vicariously like almost imagining if if I too got to make this decision um so one of my favorite things about pantry storage that I have learned over the last few years is getting happy with how you store dry goods dry food items and I have gotten rid of anything that comes like in a box with a bag inside. Right. So cereal boxes, (laughs) cracker boxes, as soon as they come home from the grocery store, they go into um, like bins that have been purchased for that or more likely into repurposed glass jars. Um, I also make a lot of use of Lazy Susan's in my small pantry so that you can spin around a little circle and there's jars of dried cranberries and chocolate chips and granola and whatever else. And I reuse a lot of containers. So whichever direction you go, I would start with making sure that everybody in the household can see what this item is. Um, And then I just I think there's no one right way to decide. But I think um, the tips that are often given when people move into a new space like you, Megan, um, I would use here, which is using post-it notes for everybody in the family to like almost train them like, oh no, like the, the overflow cereal boxes go on this shelf now and the appliances go here, you can um, move those post-it notes around. Mandy just gave this tip in a blog post that she wrote about moving. And I remembered how useful it was that even when you as the decider make the decision about what goes where, you will forget. I will forget my own systems that I just decided. So um, having post-it notes that you can kind of move around, being willing to experiment. And then I guess a question I would have back for Kim and I don't know is are there small appliances or non-food items being kept mm. in the pantry? Because that might be the first thing I go to. If, if we're keeping things like slow cookers and instant pots and blenders, maybe in her house, those go in a different cupboard or stay out on the counter. But that would probably be the first thing I do because those take up so much space and they're nice to have easily available, but they're pretty separate than food storage. So I wonder if One of the closets could be used for non-food items like small appliances, um, fancy dishes, fancy dishes, dishes that you don't or giant salad bowls or popcorn bowls, like the ones that you just don't use unless you're having a big potluck, It's almost like that kind of thing. And then food in the other. But I could see it going so many different ways. I just like I like the opportunity.
1: There are so many ways to do this where this is where I'm at right now. I'm in a very um, like I know whatever I decide I have to I have to just do it in order for a new system to work, you have to commit to it. And I'm still in the phase where I'm deciding what I'm going to commit to. So it's looking a little wonky at my house. But one thing, you know, they always are saying like, put the thing away, put the thing further away from your kitchen that you don't use all the time. So like, let's say it's a, um, I don't know, like an ingredient you don't use as often. Well, I don't really keep a lot of that sort of thing in my house that I don't use very often. It's more like, Do I, how do I, like, what else do I use it with? So then I started thinking, okay, well, um, things like baked baking items, right? I would just keep all those things together because we don't bake that often. And I wouldn't want to have to walk into the other room and carry back like in my arms, like a flour and a sugar and a bag of chocolate chips. Like, you know what I mean? Like that juggle. So it's not just about the individual items that you maybe don't use daily, But also, do you use them all together in such a way where if you put them far away from the kitchen, now you have to get them all at once? Yeah. And what a hassle that is. So that's one thing that I've been thinking about. Like, are there ways to group things together in a bin so that if I go grab that bin, I grab the whole thing and bring it back all at once and just sit on the countertop? The other thing that um, is also important to distinguish is, like, you might use something every single day, but you don't use all of the things that you have of that thing every single day. So one thing that we are doing in my house that I'm trying and have decided I'm probably going to commit to, um, and this came about from, like, a really silly conversation I had with Owen, where he said, Mom, I want to be that family that always has a pitcher in the fridge with, like, Kool-Aid in it. Oh, that's And really I said, cute. Honey, we can be that family that always has a pitcher in the fridge. I can't promise you it's always going to have Kool-Aid in it. <laughs> But like yes, so you know when your sixteen year old gives you like feeds you a way to make them happy, mm-hmm. you find a way. Especially to make when them it's happy. raised
0: that family that I, know, I just I feel want like to that, see that is, family that does that. Yeah. Okay,
1: so I so now what I'm doing is buying, I'm calling it mystery juice, and every week they get one mystery juice, and it goes. In a pitcher, so they don't know what it is, and it's usually the day the kids get home from their dads, um, which is almost always on a um, on a Monday. Sometimes on a Friday if we're going into the weekend. But I usually buy them on Mondays because that's when I do my shopping. And so if the juice is gone by Tuesday, that's you know too bad, so sad. But like that is the mystery juice this week. Um, well, what I was doing was buying a new juice every single week and right. then putting it in the jug. And then I was like, well, I could buy seven juices and stick them in the closet. That's on the other side of the house because the kids are never going to look in there. It's still mystery juice, right? Yeah. So it's a daily use item, but I'm not using all seven Uh juices that I'm keeping all at once. Same thing with paper towels and things like that. Like that could easily go in one of those places. And the other thing I'm doing, I bought some um, vintage Tupperware containers for on top of my fridge because we don't have a ton of like surface space in my kitchen. Uh It felt like wasted space to have that top of the fridge, but I wanted it to be cute. Um, And now we have cereal of the week and the kids vote on that. So they put up nominations for cereal of the week. I love it. And then we vote for what the cereal of the week is. But what that means is that whatever the cereal of the week is goes in one of those Tupperware containers Mm -hmm. and that's it. They don't get to open any other cereals. Yeah, that's the only one. So I could easily look at their nominations as they're coming in and just buy the other ones and stick them in the pantry. So those are just two little when you think of something totally like flip it on its side sometimes or on its head, ideas will come that fit for your family and whatever fun family traditions or whatever you have that work that maybe wouldn't work for like the random person you read about in an article. I yep. guess is my only point. And I love that it's for those those two things are tied to like a family togetherness thing. Yeah. Which means I'll do it and stick to the system. Whereas if it was just the smarter way to use space and putting that in air quotes. I might forget or just not bother. It might not
0: apply to you guys. Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: So mystery juice and cereal of the week have both been very successful in the new house. I am not wasting. I don't have like seven boxes of cereal open. Yeah. And getting going stale. And Owen's dreams of mystery juice are coming true. And let me tell you, when your 16 year old walks in the house and is so excited because there's a pitcher with some kind of juice in it, I mean, it's just worth
0: it's it. It's a mom win. It's a mom win. It's a mom win. Yeah. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking like you're using a very like now and later strategy, which makes a ton of sense with the flow of your like the humans in your family. Yes. Like what what is about this week and what is for future? I think that could be a really helpful way for Kim to think about the pantry idea or she could listen to that and be like, nope, it's not about now and later. It's about big stuff and small stuff or right. it's about edible stuff and not edible stuff. Um. I feel like now this is repeat because I talked about glass jars, but if you are not already unpackaging everything you get and thinking about space usage at the unit level as opposed to the package level. So, for example, if we're talking about toilet paper or paper, paper towels and they come in those big, awkward 24 packs from Costco or Target or wherever you're getting them, like when for us, when we make those purchases, nothing ever stays in that giant shape we undo it and put it away you have so much more flexibility for putting things away if you what am I trying to say like like take apart the the aggregate and store the individuals and I could see that working like to your point Megan you're shopping ahead but you're not putting all of the cereal in the same place you're putting this week's cereal so if they're not already doing that Kim I feel like a second pantry would be a great time to start like great we got 48 LaCroix but we're going to put six in the fridge and the rest go on this bottom shelf. And I have just found a lot of satisfaction in that kind of that's like a late, that's like a more recent development in how right. I think about storage. It rather than unload the car from the store and now you you've, you've got to just find place for all these larger things.
1: Yep, I don't know. Totally agree. And and every time I've done that like taken something from that larger down to the, you know, usable yeah. um shelvable, pretty to look at, yes. it just makes it so much more functional. So, totally agree.
0: It does, and you're also not caught like, oh, we need paper towels. Can somebody go get a roll of paper towels? And now, like, somebody's got to rip into a giant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just unit (laughs) unitizing things from the moment you get them home. I think uh, has a lot of different benefits. I want to add
1: one other thing to that too. There's like, and you might have touched on this already, Sarah, but there's a difference between the storage that like the person who's doing the buying um, and organizing gets to use. And the one that the whole family is getting to use. So if there's like two pantries and one can be really like only for the people who are like living in the house and the other or for everyone who's living in the house and the other one can really be just for mom to use. And that's okay too, because you might have a really different system and they don't need to mess with it. Like if there's something in that other closet, it might be kind of hands off for everyone but you because you've already figured out what the flow is going to be. Yeah. It reminds me of like when I've worked in office settings before where there's like there's like the office supply thing that everyone can get into. And there's like the locked one. But then there's the locked one that's only and you might think it's a little extra when the office manager has it like key around her neck or whatever or his neck. Um it won't let you in. It's not that they think you're gonna steal the stuff. It's like that's where the inventory management Absolutely. starts from. So yep. you don't want people digging into both. You yep. need to be able to control one and allow it to flow through to the other.
0: I love that so much. That's, we don't do that with pantry or foodstuffs, but I am 100% that way in my house with office and art supplies to the point that there are some bins that say, ask mom first, <laughs> or like the kids know, like there's paper in where they do their art and there's paper in my office. And it's a different situation if you're going into my office to root around and find some stuff you better be asking for. Yeah,
1: because what if someone goes into your toilet paper stash, <laughs> just applying this to more, you know, household yeah. items, and you think... You think that there's still TP in the pantry, even though you've exhausted the stuff that's in the bathroom. Yeah. But it turns out not so much. And now the there's an emergency. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, those are a lot of ideas. But I think that the the general concept that we're getting at here is, like, you get to decide. And it totally depends on the way your family lives.
0: Generally. And yeah. that there will be, like, a little bit of a learning curve, like, where you said you are, Megan, with your move. Like, you, you have to just pick one way and and ride it out for a bit to see if it's working and that's where i would make use of some some bins some boxes some post-it notes and then like you know in a month or so you can start to commit maybe then you can get some prettier containers or do some fun labeling or something but there's going to be a transition period so yeah all right well our last question for today comes from emily and she left it by voicemail so let's listen to that now
3: hi megan and sarah this is emily in fort worth texas I was wondering how much you allow school consequences and punishments to roll over into home consequences and punishments. I know growing up, I was in the camp where my parents told me if I got in trouble at school, I would be in double the trouble at home. My mom is a teacher. I am also a teacher. So I understand the um, desire for your children to be well behaved at school. But it seems a little bit like if my child already served their time at school, should they really be in trouble at home? Um, I have a pre-care and a fourth grader right now, and then I have toddlers. And it seems like things with my fourth grader are easy to carry over. For example, if he gets in trouble at school, then he loses screen time um, or playing Minecraft for a few days or whatever the case may be. But with my pre-care, She doesn't seem to understand why if she already had to sit out to think about her choice, why that would also carry over at home. So does it vary by age for you guys? Is it just kind of logical progression or severity of the incident? (laughs) Let me know.
1: Okay, Emily. So there's a lot kind of going on in this question. Um, And I'm not sure how you're finding out about the school discipline issues, like if The teachers are reporting it back to you case by case. If you are like asking to find out if your kids are self-reporting, I mean, it's without knowing that I'm not sure like how significant the infractions are. I guess I would say that the thing I take away from listening um, to your message is that it feels like you were raised in a certain kind of environment or with like an expectation and you want to shake that up for your own family. And are asking some really good questions about the logic of, you know, double, double jeopardy, Mm -hmm. whatever the thing is, but maybe feel a little stuck between completely getting rid of like you're it's almost like you're trying to carry the parts of it forward that make sense, but you feel conflicted about it. And I think we all face many like many times where the way we were raised or the way that we internalized is the way things are done. Doesn't feel right when we are actually parenting our own kids, but we can kind of get stuck in trying to like force the square peg into a round hole there. Like trying to make it work for your family when maybe it doesn't feel right at all. Um, I can just speak to my own family life to just say, it's pretty rare that I would reinforce um, a consequence. Like, where I would add on additional consequences for something that happened at school, which isn't to say it's never happened. Um, it has a few times where I've found out about something and was like, okay, like this this cannot just go unnoticed. I need to like there's nothing the teacher can do to actually reflect the severity of this. I need to take this in hand. so one example would be when one of my children, who are now an adult um pulled his pants down and flashed the kids. On. He was like in first grade and he flashed. I want to say it was on the bus, or maybe on the playground. And I got a call. It was a Catholic school. And I got a call from his really sweet principal. And she had to tell me what happened. And it was just like super mortifying. And I needed to make sure that did not happen again, because that's very problematic. And so that was a conversation. I don't know that it was even a consequence. Like, I'm not sure I took anything away from him, but it was a big conversation. Other times I feel like, okay, I found out, you know, Claire got on the learning line because she talks too much in class. I'm not going to now add on to that because it's, dealt, it's been dealt with. Um, so I don't know that you need to have like a rule about this because I think it really can be very much decided in the moment and how serious it is. I think for me, I wouldn't want to fall into the trap of feeling like I always have to add on out of principle or like to look like I'm doing my job as a mom or to feel like I'm being appropriately punitive that's just not the way I approach discipline in my house anyway. And it would feel kind of forced. And I think that's what you're maybe running up against.
0: Yeah. I love everything that you just said. And I, I don't have a lot to add, but I, I wonder if we could zoom back out and like wonder with Emily or like our yoga Mm. teacher said (laughs) yesterday, invite, invite a conversation around what the end goal is. And I know for me as a mom, I always want teachers to know how much I value them, how much i I trust them for the most part. I guess I could think of a couple of teachers maybe i I didn't trust or value as much, but for the most part, I go in with a lot of like assumed trust and respect for the systems that a teacher has in place, and then it becomes kind of important that I let them know that because i I want them to know I'm on their team and I'm supportive of all the hard work they've done to set up classroom systems of behavior management. So I think for me, I would almost start with what do I hope this teacher knows about my kid and our family? Mm. Um, And it might be more of questions than of like established if this, then that discipline strategies. Like what is the classroom response for certain infractions and what, how can I support you at home if if a repeated disciplinary thing is happening with a kid, I, I would say a repeated one as opposed to like a, a one-off. But if there's a repeated challenge that's happening, I think I would approach it more from a place of like, how can school and home be on the same team? And maybe the teacher would have questions for me like, okay, well, what does happen at home if there's um, yelling or disrespect? And what does happen in the classroom? And let's Let's look at our, our methods or is our language even lining up so mm-hmm. that we can support this kid and they're not confused about one thing's OK at school and one thing's OK at home. Or so I guess to your point, Megan, I'm not sure that I I don't have a a specific answer of what's right for your family, Emily. But I also heard in that message, like you said, almost um almost a, a desire to depart from a philosophy that she grew up in and I guess I always support moms in looking critically at the homes they grew up in and seeing if there are some cycles that they wish to break. So yeah. I'm I'm in support of that line of questioning and I'm in support of home teacher communications. Both That's of them. I'm yeah. yeah. And I also think it's like you know
1: I've been pounding this drum for years a drum. but like being this drum um it's like looking at our motivations as moms when we're bring, when we're doing something why are we doing it like yes. why are we setting this as the standard or the rule anyway to begin with is it because we're really is it because that's what your family of origin did and it's just stuck in your head and that's how you think you should parent to be a quote unquote good parent is it because there's really a discipline issue and you just don't know what to do like that's a very those are two totally different things is it cuz you want the teacher to know they're on that you're on their side um any one of those things can be addressed um, specific to that thing. It doesn't have to, like, if the issue is that there are pervasive discipline and, like issues and it's happening over and over, then that's a different, you might get it a different answer. And you might get it differently than if it's just that you want the teacher to know you guys are aligned. Mm-hmm. Or it's very, that's very, very different from if you feel self-conscious when you don't have the same kind of discipline strategy that your friends do or the other moms, you know, do or that maybe your parents did like all of those are so different. Like, yeah. The motivations are so different. So the answers should probably be different. And then the way you get to the answers can be different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that comes back to why getting on the same page with the teacher might be really valuable. There, there've been some interesting discussions in our Facebook group about this issue. And we have so many listeners who are teachers. Yeah. And I, I saw a couple of teachers say that they sometimes not hold back. That's the wrong word, but they, they sometimes wonder if enforcing classroom discipline is going to get a kid in extra trouble yeah. at home. It may actually make them think twice about running their own classroom the way they would otherwise. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like it's useful for them to have established results and consequences for certain behaviors. But then if they, on top of that are like, Ooh, but I don't want Owen to get like right. another time out. I know this is going to affect him at home. It's just, it's just an invitation for more communication. Yeah, I think, because I think a lot of, I think most teachers will be really honest. Like
1: this was a big deal and I was not able to adequately deal with it in class is a very different conversation from it's done. Yeah. You know, they, they took their lumps, whatever their <laughs> they lumps, they, the paid, learning their time. Line. they yep. paid their time. They did their time. Yeah. Um, those are like really two different conversations. And if you have a dialogue with the teacher, you can kind of find out which one it is.
0: Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, this was really fun and so fun to be right here next to you, Megan. Yeah. I wonder if we give more wise advice when we're in the same room. I Pro- think I'm absorbing it. Like, right. It's like floating not. through the air. I'm making, um, we're like talking with our hands, but we're also not really looking at each other. Yeah. We're sort of in parallel. Like if you can picture parallel, um, hotel beds. So I'm like gesticulating, but not actually looking and at you. And I can you. just see you out of the peripheral. I'm afraid to turn my
1: head too much. Cause then I think my sound will
0: yeah exactly go in the
1: wrong direction. So I'm... <laughs>
0: Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Again, thanks to Texas and Grapevine, Texas, and Joanna Martin for, um, I don't know, giving us a lovely experience here in person together. Uh, The show notes for this episode are always at themomhour.com. The conversations continue on Facebook, in our Facebook group, and on Instagram. And anything we said we'd link to, we will in the show notes. I think that's it. Megan, we'll talk to everybody soon. Talk to you soon.
1: Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to Erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, -K E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%.
0: Hey everyone, Sarah here. Megan and I would absolutely love it if you hit pause right now, right where you're listening, and left The Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, that's one of the absolute biggest ways you can thank us. And it really takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, just navigate to the Mom Hours show listing. So not the episode you're listening to right now, but the kind of landing area for our show as a whole. And then scroll down to leave a rating or review. Thank you so much.